0: I am missing my dear wife. She said to say good morning to everybody. She is in Los Angeles at the moment and back in the States for a couple weeks uh, to attend the wedding of our dearest friends. Their oldest daughter is getting married, so I wasn't able to get away uh, because we just started a new semester at MST, so Sue is representing the family, uh, so she's there with them, and... um, I miss her. I don't like... Can I tell you a funny little secret? You know, we do weird things when, when our spouses are gone. Those of you who are married understand. I will, I've actually been known to take Sue's pillows and arrange them next to me, like she's in the bed, you know, right there, so that it feels like there's something, someone there, but... Um, I haven't gone to the point of spraying her perfume on the pillows or anything weird like that, but, you know, it's just, we do what we got to do to survive, right? I don't know. Crazy things, crazy things. We are in Mark chapter 6. Let's go from the ridiculous to the sublime here. Uh, Mark chapter 6, picking up where we have left off last week, beginning at verse 45. Mark chapter 6. And immediately he, that is Jesus, made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land." And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, "'Take heart.'" "'It is I, do not be afraid.' "'And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. "'And they were utterly astounded, "'for they did not understand about the loaves, "'but their hearts were hardened. "'When they had crossed over, "'they came to land at Gennesaret and moored at the shore. "'And when they got out of the boat, "'the people immediately recognized him, and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came, in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. Father, we thank you for your word, for the way you speak to us through your word. Thank you that it is yet even now living and active by the power of your spirit. It pierces, it opens, it touches, it teaches, it rebukes, it corrects. It does all these different ministries because you speak to us through it. And so we pray for the ministry of your spirit among us. Take this word and bring it to life in each of us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You ever had one of those moments in your life when you feel like, I have been here before. I've been in this situation before. This feels so, so familiar, And sometimes you're in that moment and you feel like, I I think I even know what's going to happen next. I have a feeling I I know the the word that's going to come out of your mouth the next next time you you speak. That that familiar feeling, it's what we often call deja vu, isn't it? It's a French term that literally means already seen. That that experience when you're in a situation and you you feel like, oh, I, I've been here before. I've been in this before. My grandfather used to tell the story that wasn't exactly a case of deja vu, but it's a very similar kind of situation. In November 1918, when he was 11 years old, he was living in philadelphia on the east coast of the united states which is where my my family is from and he had just gotten off the train coming home from school this particular day and he came up out of the station and and into the into the street into the city and as he was coming up out of the station he noticed that there was a crowd of people forming they were spilling out of a cafe and everybody was excited and they were yelling and there was there was a lot going on. And and he was wondering, of course, what in the world is happening? It's an unusual scene. And as he drew closer, he realized that people were celebrating something. They they were yelling and cheering and, and everybody was was hugging and, and celebrating and so on. And he realized that it was the announcement of the end of the First World War. And everybody was in the streets cheering and carrying on. And, of course, this made a tremendous impression on an 11-year-old schoolboy. And it was likely one of those moments. We've all had these moments in life when a major event happens And you will always remember where you were when you heard the news. My wife and I sometimes will think back when we were very young. We we remember when John Kennedy was assassinated. You remember where I was and, you know, everything about it. Um, 9-11, you know, you, you remember, if you're an American especially, where were you when you heard the news? And I think that this was one of those kinds of events that was kind of emblazoned in his memory. We'll jump ahead nearly 30 years later. By now, my grandfather is married. He's now living in Los Angeles. Family had moved from Philadelphia to Los Angeles, but they were back in Philadelphia visiting my grandmother's parents, and so there they were. nearly 30 years later, just visiting, still living in Los Angeles, but visiting for for a while. And my grandfather was coming up from the train station, that same train station, and coming up to the street, and he noticed a crowd of people running out into the streets, cheering and yelling and celebrating. And of course, he flashed back to when he was an 11-year-old child, But here he was, a number of years later, and the crowd of people were celebrating the end of World War II, V-Day, and everybody was standing there celebrating, and here was my grandfather, 27 years later, standing in exactly the same spot, witnessing the same thing he had just seen as an 11-year-old child. Remarkable experience. The same news, the same place, same kind of experience, 27 years apart. When we come here to the end of Mark chapter 6, I kind of wonder if we have that same kind of feeling, don't we? We read these accounts that we just looked at, and we kind of get the same feeling, haven't we been in this place before? Is this a repeat? Is, is Mark beginning to repeat himself here? Is he saying the same thing? It all seems so familiar, doesn't it? Well, it is. It's very familiar. The same kind of, the same kind of experiences that we see here, we have seen a number of times in Mark. In fact, the, the boat and the wind we'll look at in just a moment Yeah, very similar to an account that we have seen a few chapters earlier. But remember where we are in this story. The disciples have returned from their ministry tour earlier in chapter 6, and they have gone out and they have preached about the kingdom, they have healed the sick, they have delivered people who were oppressed by demons. And they go off with Jesus, and in chapter 6, verse 31, he says, let's get away and Come come to a desolate place and let's rest up for a while. And they begin to tell the stories of ministry, but as as they are getting away, the crowds continue to follow them, and they simply can't get rid of the crowds. And at the end of the day, around dinner time, Jesus says to the disciples, you give these people something to eat, verse 37, and the disciples can't. They, they they can't. And so Jesus takes these five loaves and a couple of fish, and he feeds these five thousand people. And the disciples gather up the leftovers, and there are twelve baskets full, one for each disciple. And they stand there, each with his own basket, with all this bread and this fish. Of course, astounded by what Jesus has done yet again. And so we pick up the section where we are this morning, and they finally get away from the crowds, and Jesus goes off alone to a mountain to pray, to spend this time alone in prayer with his Father, and and the disciples get in a boat, and they head for home. It's just as we see back in chapter 4, verse 35, they are trying, they're they're going to the other side of the lake and as they are trying to go across the lake, they cannot make any headway against the wind. They they simply can't make any any progress across across the lake. I want to look at this account that we just read this morning. And I want this passage to prepare us for the table that is set before us. Because I think there is something in this passage that prepares us to receive these important elements. Because as we read this passage, we see yet again that Mark is focusing on Not so much the events, not so much all of these things, but it's an interesting thing how he emphasizes again and again through this passage in very significant ways that the real thing that's going on here is in the heart of the disciples. It really is a passage about the heart and what he is trying to emphasize here, and I think As we read this, we realize that it's teaching us something about our own hearts. Really, that is the point of the story. What is going on in my heart? What is going on in your heart? What's going on in the disciples' heart that these events are bringing out in them? Let's begin by looking at these disciples. They are straining and they are pulling. Look at Look at verse 48. They are making headway painfully, for the wind is against them. They simply cannot make this boat move. It, it's interesting to note how in the previous stories, how the disciples, both on their own and, and as they are with Jesus, they are able to perform miracles. They are able to do what we would call the spectacular. They preached, they saw people come to faith, they healed, they cast out demons. They even were alongside Jesus as he is feeding these crowds with just a little bit of food. But all of a sudden, here they are back in a very familiar place. They're back in a a boat on a lake that is so familiar to them. These are fishermen And boats are simply a part of their everyday life. There is something so normal about these guys getting in a boat and going home, yet they cannot sail it across the water. And along comes Jesus walking on the water, which is remarkable in itself. And he sees them straining, he sees them working, he sees them trying to navigate this this vessel across the lake. And he says to them, take heart. Take heart. Don't be afraid. Here I am. It's me. I'm here. I'm with you. I am with you in this place take heart. Don't be discouraged. Here you are in this most familiar place to you, in this place that that you know like you know the back of your hand, and they're discouraged, and he comes to them, and he says, take heart. You know what this reminds me of? It reminds me that Jesus is present with us in the most mundane situations of life the most typical, the most normal, the most everyday kinds of situations. We look for him in the spectacular. We look for him in the extreme circumstances of life. We we ask him to do the miraculous. We cry out when life is difficult, when we are faced with a crisis, as we should. But what about the most mundane moments of every single day? Do we pay him any attention? Or do we look to Jesus only when we are faced with 5,000 people who are hungry and need to be fed? Do we look to Jesus only when we're out on the mission trip and we take no bread, no bag, no money, or anything like that, no change of clothes? Do we look to him then? or do we draw on that same presence and that same power in every single moment of every single day? See, we have to see that Jesus comes to us as he comes to these disciples in the midst of the everyday experiences of life. Not only in the crises, not only for the spectacular, Have you ever thought about how much of life is lived between these two places, the ecstasy of the mountaintop and the despair of the valley? The reality is most of us live the majority of our life in the in-between place. And Jesus comes to us as we struggle to get through those mundane moments of life and he says, guess what? I am with you in this place. I remember years ago when Sue and I were new parents. Boy, there is nothing more mundane than feeding a baby and changing diapers. And that becomes your life. And I remember one day I came home from work and Sue was just sitting on the floor on the floor in the living room, just leaning against the couch. And I looked at her and I said, honey, Uh, it was just kind of one of those moments you go, honey, you okay? (laughs) And she just looked up to me and said, we have ruined our lives. (laughs) Oh, Beck, I'm so sorry, as you're about ready to have your first. (laughs) Um, It passes, it does, it really, it passes. But she just looked at me and said, we've ruined our lives. She said, it was so good, you know, and she said, I said, well, what did you do today, honey? She said, well, I sent Thomas to his room six times, and I, you know, I did this, and I had to discipline him this many times, and and I had to, and she said, and she just kind of went on and on, and there, there you are. I mean, you talk about just life in the raw, there it is, you know, and she just said, and it used to be so easy and so good, but... And I just wonder, you know, where do we find Jesus in those moments? And he says, you know what? I, I, I want to be with you not only in that place where we're feeding 5,000 people, but, yeah, when, even when you're trying to row a boat across a lake, take heart. It's me. I'm with you in this. I'm with you in this. You know, years ago, we used to sing an, an old hymn. I grew up in a musical family, and we, we love hymns. In fact, Sue and I actually used to keep a hymn book in our car, and every once in a while as we were driving on long distances, we would just bring it out, and we would sing hymns, you know, as we were driving along in the car. Um, she would hold the hymn book because I was driving. But um, remember the old hymn? I need thee every hour. Mm. If you know it, sing this with me. I need Thee every hour, most gracious Lord. No tender voice like Thine can peace afford. I need Thee, oh, I need Thee. Every hour I need thee. Oh, bless me now, my Savior. I come to thee. You know, I love that second verse. Oh, we can sing it right now. I love that second verse. I need thee. Stay, thou dear boy. Temptations lose their power when thou art nigh. I need thee, oh, I need thee. Every hour, I need. me now my Savior I come to thee I wonder if that's what Jesus wants the disciples to discover every hour whatever the situation not just the crises not just the big moments but when you're rowing a boat across a lake give attention to my presence in every every moment but again we see that the disciples are verse 51 utterly astounded They are utterly astounded when Jesus stops the wind and he climbs into the boat because, notice verse 52, they did not understand about the loaves. That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Takes us back to the previous story. But their hearts were hardened. They have not learned what Jesus is trying to teach them. You know, sometimes I am amazed at the patience of Jesus, not only, not only for these disciples, but his patience with me. They, they cannot go any further in what he has to teach them. They can't go further until they learn the last lesson that he's trying to teach them. They didn't understand about the loaves. They are stuck in this place where they they can't go deeper with Jesus because they don't take the time to reflect and to learn what he has been teaching them all along. You know, there's nothing more basic in life than that line out of the Lord's prayer, give us this day our daily bread. Lord, provide for me today everything that I need for this day. I trust you for my most basic needs, clothing and food and shelter, and and we've seen that earlier in chapter 6 as he sent them out, and they have seen Jesus provide for them in remarkable ways, both on their ministry trip and in in the feeding of the 5,000, but but somehow the lesson simply doesn't sink in. They don't understand about the loaves. You know, it's interesting. So often I think we think of a hardened heart as a willful and obstinate and resistant heart. We see that in Scripture, certainly. We see that in, in the Old Testament, in Pharaoh, as Moses goes to him again and again and says, let my people go, and, Mo, and and Pharaoh's heart is hardened, and he says, no, I will not let them go. We see it here in Mark with the scribes and the Pharisees as they, as they oppose Jesus, as they stand in, in opposition, and they're even looking for a way to to begin to put him to death already, we have read. But the disciples aren't willfully resistant. They've left everything. They've followed Jesus. They're with him. They're even ministering alongside him. So this hardened heart has to have something else to it. There is this lack of teachability there is this unwillingness to learn you know as a teacher few things frustrate me more than a student who will not learn not a student who cannot learn I actually have found over the years I have more patience for a student who can't learn than a student who just is apathetic and won't learn there's a big difference between those two And I'm often wondering, how do I motivate such a student who sits in my class but just won't learn? That's very different from the student who struggles to learn. At least he's trying, and I can work with that. But those of you who are teachers understand, how do you motivate the student who doesn't care? How do we get them unstuck? getting unstuck, remembering the loaves. That's such an interesting phrase. Remember the loaves, learn the lesson. You see, a hardened heart isn't always just a willful and obstinate resistance to God. Sometimes it's a lack of spiritual perception, a a lack of readiness to learn, a lack of attentiveness to the voice of God as he speaks to us. And it it results in this faith that is stunted, that, that's small. How often do we not take time to remember what God has done in the past and apply it to our situation today, whatever that situation is? How, how easily we forget. We need to do things to force ourselves to Remember. It's one of the reasons why I'm really looking forward to baptism this evening, because listening to testimonies helps us to be attentive to what God is doing in our midst. I remember one Christmas day when we were living in China, and on Christmas Christmas morning, we got, a, we got a slip from the postman. You know, it's an interesting thing living in a country where Christmas isn't a thing at all. When we first moved there, nobody celebrated Christmas at all. And so it's just a normal day. And so the postman came and brought us a slip saying we had a package at the international post office, which was clear across the city from where we lived. But um, so my son and I got in a taxi and we we took the taxi across to the other side of the city to get this package and very excited about that we thought how does this happen that you actually get a package on christmas day um as we're you know we're in in this place in in china it was an interesting thing as we were coming home and we had this box sitting with us in the back seat of this taxi and and my son who was probably about i don't know 12 years old at the time said, Dad, isn't it interesting that it isn't just, it isn't that we haven't been forgotten, but we have actually been remembered by somebody. It's an interesting difference between those two things. It isn't that we haven't been forgotten, we've been remembered. And that That remembering caused somebody to do something and to to act on it. And suddenly, this package took on a whole new significance because there's a difference between simply not forgetting something and actually remembering something, really remembering. Not forgetting feels a little more passive to me, but remembering, no, that's an active thing. I have to work at remembering things. Ask my wife and she will tell you, I have to work hard at remembering things sometimes. Remembering, reflecting, paying attention to God's presence in this moment right now will soften my heart and it will enable me to receive, to listen, to hear his voice, to receive whatever he has for me in this moment. It's one of the reasons why I like to journal. For me, journaling is a spiritual discipline because it helps me to reflect on God's presence in the everyday moments of life because I, like the disciples, am so prone to forgetting and I am so unwilling to learn. I am slow to learn. And sometimes I'm haunted by those words they did not understand about the loaves and their hearts were hardened. I don't necessarily have fish and loaf situations in my life, but I can go back and I can forget about certain things that God did at certain places. And he didn't remember about that. Well, you know, a journal helps me to go back and remember about the loaves and to go back. And how did God work in that situation? I don't judge the disciples here because I'm the same. My heart can be hardened, slow to learn, slow to pick up, slow to pay attention. So Jesus says to them, take heart, I'm with you. And they don't learn because their hearts are hardened. But then we come to this other section, verses 53 through 56. And we see in this an interesting summary of all of Jesus' ministry. We see in verse 56 that all who came to him are healed. And that tells me that that is the posture of the open heart. The posture of the open heart comes to Jesus' For healing the open heart comes to Jesus for wholeness it reminds me of the words of Augustine who says our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you and that's what we find in these people right here we we find that these people realize that the only hope for my broken heart for my wounded heart my sick heart is to come to Jesus who alone has the ability to soften the hard heart, to heal the broken heart, to calm the anxious heart, to restore the lost heart, to change the willful heart. He says to the weak and to the weary, come to me, learn from me and I will give you rest. And whoever comes to me, I will not cast out. I love this posture of the open heart and the receptivity of Jesus. As many as touched it, even the hem of his garment, they were made well. Those who come to Jesus, he restores. He heals, he touches that heart, he softens that heart, he opens that heart. And as we come to him and we bring that heart to him, he says, come with an open heart. Let me teach you, let me heal you, let me touch you. This is our invitation to come to the table Because as we come to this table, we come and remember. Remember, we easily forget. And that's why we do this regularly, because we forget. And we need to come and remember what Jesus has done for us. We need to learn from the loaves. We need to learn from these pieces of broken bread. We need to let these elements be a reminder to us, to teach us. We need to understand about the loaves and what they have to say to us. And we need to understand about the cup and what it teaches us, about what it took to restore this broken heart of mine back into relationship with God through Jesus. Listen to these words as we prepare our hearts. Paul writes these familiar words, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Don't just don't forget, remember. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance. Don't just, don't forget. Remember me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. But then Paul adds these words, which I think are so important. And again, he's talking about the heart here. He says, let us examine ourselves. Let us take the time to look inside the heart so that we can eat this in a worthy manner. So that we can come before God with clean hands and a pure heart, an open heart, to receive what he has for us. I'm going to ask the servers to come forward and be prepared to serve us. Those of you who are a part of this congregation regularly know you will come to one of these servers who will be scattered around the room and take a piece of bread and a cup and go back to your seat. You are welcome to eat the bread on your own but hold the cup so that we can share that together. And here's what I would like for you to do as you come and receive these elements. I would like for you, as you take that piece of bread, say to yourself, even say out loud, even say to one another, because we need to remember the body of Christ was broken for me. And then as we take that cup, we will say together, the blood of Christ was shed for me. Because we don't wanna just not forget, we wanna remember. And we wanna remind each other, we wanna tell each other the blood of Christ, the body of Christ, broken and shed for us. Come as you like. If we take a few moments, that's fine. We don't need to rush. But I want to also encourage you to spend some moments reflecting, preparing your heart, examining your heart, so that we can partake with a pure heart, a clean heart.